If any of you have a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, not male prostitutes, not homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, not drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father God, really thank you for this awesome privilege of being able to look at your word and just to let it speak into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just teach us your truth. Lead us into your truth by your Spirit, Lord. Help us to receive it from you. Help us to to welcome it into our lives and help us to put it into practice, Lord. We pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some people have gone to court for the most ridiculous reasons. In in 1996, an Israeli woman, she sued a TV weatherman because he'd predicted sunny weather and it rained and she'd got caught in the rain and had got a cold or something like that and had been unprepared for it. Then in 2017, a Texan, a 37-year-old man from Texas, he sued a woman that he dated Because when he took her to the cinema to watch Guardians of the Galaxy, she sat there and texted on her phone all the time. And then in 2017 also, a 15-year-old boy, he sued his mum in Spain because she took away his mobile phone to try and get him to study. And then, of course, probably the most famous lawsuit like that was in 1994 when a woman called Stella Liebeck She won $640,000 when she sued McDonald's because the coffee she bought there was too hot and she burned herself when she spilled it over herself. People go to court and sue other people for some of the most surprising and ridiculous reasons. But sometimes we might think that's a really new thing, but actually it's not. In the New Testament times, the the Greeks, they loved litigation. There's a guy called William Barclay. He says this, The law courts were in in fact one of their chief amusements and entertainments. The Greeks were famous or notorious 
for their love of going to law. But when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians that Caroline read to us, Paul did not criticize or condemn that culture in which the Corinthian Christians lived. He didn't sit there and judge them. He didn't criticize the world for its I'll sue you mentality. But he did call the church to be different. He called them to stop taking each other to court. He said in verse 1 of chapter 6, If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment, instead of before the saints. These Christians may have lived in a culture where it was normal to take people to court, who offended them or who hurt them or who owed them money. But Paul said that the church should be different. They should stand out from this. They should deal with their disputes differently. Now that doesn't mean that the law courts have no role in our lives. Paul himself was saved from the attacks of the Jewish people in Corinth through the legal system of that city. And he used all the avenues of the legal system in which he lived to defend himself. Even appealing to the highest court, which was Caesar himself. And so this doesn't mean that we as Christians should have nothing to do with the law. And it certainly doesn't mean that we should be above the law. In fact, Paul taught in Romans chapter 13 that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. So unless it goes against God's clear commands, we should submit to the legal and ruling authorities in our country. We're supposed to be model citizens of Ireland. We're supposed to pay all our bills, pay all our taxes, obey all the rules, including the speed limit for those who struggle with that one. I'm not looking at anybody when I'm saying that. This passage does not allow Christians who commit criminal acts to avoid prosecution. It's not about churches covering over criminal activity in our communities. Instead, this is about how we should deal with the disputes or the disagreements between ourselves. It's the kind of thing that Jesus was talking about in that passage which you looked at last week. If you remember, if you were with us in our Zoom service in Matthew chapter 18. Where in verse 15 Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Initially, we should deal with our disputes with a private conversation. But if he will not listen, Jesus goes on to say, take one or two others along. If that doesn't work, then we need a a joint challenge with one or two others. 
But Jesus went on to say in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If that doesn't work, then we need to go to a public confrontation where we ask the community to step in and help resolve the issue. But in Corinth, that wasn't happening. They weren't following Jesus' command about how to deal with their, their disputes, with the things they'd fallen out over. Now, we don't know what these disagreements were. But they were responding by running straight to the law courts and suing each other. And it was that that Paul said was wrong. They should be different from how everybody else did this. They should stand out and be different. But why? Why should Christians deal with our disputes differently? Well, first of all, because the church is equipped for this job. Paul asked the question in, in verse 6 in this passage. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? In Paul's mind, it was absolutely ridiculous to suggest that there was such a lack of wisdom in this church that they had to go to unbelievers to help them sort out their problems. Now that wasn't because they were really educated people in this church. It wasn't because they were well trained. They didn't have degrees in conflict resolution or in mediation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rather, this was because of who was in them. Who was present in their church community. Do you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we read this wonderful verse in chapter 3, verse 16? Don't, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? As a community of God's people, we are where God dwells. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the Counselor, He lives in us. And so we're not ignorant. We're not stumbling in the dark. We have a source of wisdom that the world knows nothing about. And so... He will lead us into all truth. He will help us to discern God's will. He will guide us to apply God's Word. Maybe that's why in verse 6, verse 4, sorry, Paul wrote, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. So I think there's a little bit of Paul's sanctified sarcasm again. Paul was claiming that even the least regarded person in the church was better equipped than an unbeliever in the world to discern God's will. Not because they were better, just because of who was living in them. 
the Holy Spirit who would lead them into all truth. And Paul said that our future destiny proves this. Look at this, verse verse 2 and 3. Quite a startling verse. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we will all judge angels? Of course, saints, remember, these are just God's people. They're just Christians. That's what the word saint in the Bible means. So as Christians, we have a future role in God's kingdom. We'll one day participate in such important matters as judging this world, as judging angels. If you want to come up and ask me later about what that looks like, my answer will be, I don't know. I'll wait and find out. Okay? Because I don't. But this is what the Word of God says. That's our destiny. That's our calling. So how much more should we be willing and able to get involved in settling trivial matters between us as a church community? We might not have the intellect or training as our legal system, but by God's Spirit, God has uniquely equipped us as a church for resolving conflicts and disputes when they arise between us. So we shouldn't go to those who don't have the Holy Spirit to answer questions about God's will for our lives. That's the first reason we shouldn't go to the law courts because the church is equipped for this job. But secondly, we should deal with our disputes differently because we're family. Paul said in verse 6, instead, one brother goes to law against another. If we have trusted in Jesus, then we haven't just come into this wonderful, eternal relationship with God as our Father. We've also come into an eternal relationship with each other as brothers and sisters. We'll be family forever. And I'm sure you're all smiling behind your mask about that prospect. And this reality that we are family should impact how we deal with our disputes with each other. Listen to what John writes in his letter. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Loving our family means that we're willing to lay down our lives for each other. It means that we should be willing to lose out for the benefit of others. There's a wonderful picture of this in Genesis chapter 13. Way back in the first book of the Bible, Abraham and Lot, his nephew, they'd left Ur and they'd travelled together and settled in Canaan. 
But God had blessed them so much that the men looking after their animals were beginning to fight over grazing rights and water rights. So the problem needed to be resolved. So Abram said this to Lot in Genesis 13, verse 8 and 9. (coughs) Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abraham didn't want to fight with his nephew. And so he came up with this resolution. They would go their separate ways, but crucially, Abraham gave his younger nephew the pick of the best land. You let him choose the best. Why? Well, because they're family. And that's what family does. They let the other go first. So Paul says in verse 7, the very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves means that you have been completely defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? These believers weren't living out the life they were called to live. So whether their case was right or wrong, those who were taking their brother or sister to court were wrong. Because they were not expressing the selfless love that Jesus called them to. It would have been better if they'd lost their dispute rather than lost this opportunity to express love. So dealing with disputes as believers is really not ultimately a question of right or wrong. It's not just that. It's also a question of love. What's the loving thing to do in this situation? We are called to express this kind of costly love. To deny ourselves, to put the interests of somebody else ahead of our own. To focus on what is best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if it means that we need to lose out. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's why Jesus calls us to unlimited forgiveness. Listen to what Jesus said in John, in Luke chapter 17, verse 3. If your brother sins, sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Dealing with our disputes as family means that we refuse to go down that road of revenge or retaliation 
or payback or settling scores. Instead, our goal should always be confession and repentance and forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And of course, we know that doesn't mean it's always going to happen. Remember we were looking at that last week, that in this church, they, they were going through that process, but it wasn't working. This person wasn't coming to repentance. They weren't coming back to be restored. So it doesn't always happen. But that should always be our goal. We should always be motivated by love when we're dealing with our disputes. Because we're family. Thirdly, our actions don't just impact each other as a church. They also impact those outside of Christ. They're an important part of our witness as ambassadors of Christ. This is what Jesus taught in John chapter 13. He said this, By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our Christian community is supposed to be an attractive thing. Now, I don't mean that we're supposed to all look attractive, okay? Some of us, that's, that, that would, would require a miracle, okay? I'm talking about myself. But, attractive in the sense of people should look at us and be drawn to our community. Not because we are great people. but because we have a great Lord. Not so that we can boast about how great we are, but so that we can point people to how great Jesus is. This is why we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be an advert for Christ. People are supposed to look at how we relate to each other and see something about Jesus. This church in Corinth was doing the exact opposite. They were dragging each other to court. And fighting over trivial matters. And worst of all, Paul says, you were doing it in front of the unbelievers. They were doing it in a way that everybody else could see. And so this was weakening their testimony to the gospel. Instead of being seen as a loving community who had been transformed by God's grace, these court cases were saying that these people were just as selfish and self-centered as everybody else. And this was creating a barrier to people coming to hear the gospel. So instead they should have followed Paul's example. He talks about it in chapter 10, verse 23. I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul wasn't focused on his own benefit. He was willing to lose out if it would promote the cause of the gospel. He was willing to suffer 
if it meant that some people would be saved. And in this way he was following in the footsteps of Jesus. The Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we are called to do the same. We need to deal with our disputes or our fences or our falling outs differently. Because the eternal salvation of other people is more important than our feelings or our self-interest. We need to ensure that our actions are drawing people to Christ. Not pushing people away from Christ. But there's one last reason why we as Christians should deal with our disputes differently. And that's simply because we are different. We are changed. Look at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. The wicked are those who are unrighteous, those who are ungodly, those who have not trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And Paul lists the kinds of things that they were involved in in this city. Verse 9 and 10. They are those who are in the world those in the world who seek to satisfy their own desires rather than follow God's standard of morality. They follow false gods. They take what doesn't belong to them because they have an insatiable desire for more. They abuse other people with their words and with their actions. And that's the world that these Corinthians lived in. And that's the world that we live in. And we have no right to stand arrogantly and look down on them or to judge them or to condemn those people for doing that because in of ourselves, we are no better. We're basically just the same. The church in Corinth and the church in Enniscorthy is made up of people who are like that. That's what Paul says in verse 11. That is what some of you were. But not anymore. Now, we are different. Our lives used to be stained by sin. We were messed up, unclean in God's sight. But you were washed. Our sins have been washed away. And we stand clean before a holy God. We used to be belong to this world, isolated from God. But you are sanctified. That means that we've been set apart from the world and set apart to belong to God. So now the Bible calls us saints. 
God's holy people. And we used to stand guilty before God, condemned by our sin. But you were justified. We were declared righteous in God's sight. Once and for all, completely innocent and accepted by Him. And none of this was done by ourselves. None of this was our doing. This was not because we cleaned up our act. It wasn't because we turned over a new leaf. It wasn't because we decided we were going to be better. But this was all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. This is God's work. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, then this is what God wants to do in your life today. It doesn't matter what, what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've been involved in. It doesn't matter what struggles you have in your life. God wants to transform your life through His Son's death on the cross if you would just accept His invitation and put your trust in Him. But if you have already put your faith in Jesus, and the good news is, this is already done. It is a completed transaction. It's not something you need to keep on trying to do. It is done. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Because of the cross of Jesus, we are now perfectly clean and holy and accepted in God's sight. So this passage is not trying to get us to become something we are not. Rather, it's just telling us to live out who we already are in Christ. Because we are different, we should live differently. With different morals and goals and ambitions and priorities and relationships. Other people might tell us to demand our own rights. Self-interest may be acceptable, even seen as normal in this world. But not for us. We are God's people. So we should live like God's people. So I hope that none of us would ever take a fellow Christian to court. I'm sure you wouldn't. But let's go for more than that. Let's not just try and get it, say, oh, well, we have never talked to anybody to court, and then this passage has got nothing to tell us. Let's aim for higher than that. Let's aim for the quality of fellowship that this passage speaks about. A fellowship where we live differently from our world. Where we depend on the resources that God has equipped us with. 
where we live as family. Drawing people to Christ as his ambassadors. And living out our new life in Christ. Because he's changed us by his wonderful grace.